Amen. I invite you guys to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon this morning. We're going to look together at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. The fourth gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We continue our series on the new birth. We come this morning to perhaps the most classic or famous text on the new birth. The words of Jesus in John 3, 1 through 8. This is God's holy word for us today. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these, things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the holy word of God for us today. Let's ask him to bless a few moments we have in his word this morning. May the unfolding of your word give us light, O God, that we may be instructed in your wisdom. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Empower now the preaching of your word, we pray, that we may receive it with faith and eagerness to obey, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began our new series called The Resurrected Life, a series about the new birth or being born again, a series about the new birth and its nature and its origin and the role that it plays in the Christian life which is a resurrected life, an Easter life. Last week, as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, we saw that God is the one, God alone, who causes us to be born again. And He does this work single-handedly, and He does it according to His great mercy, not according to our great worthiness, which is why God alone gets all the glory. He gets the glory, you get the grace. And don't ever get those twisted. It's never the other way around. He's the all-time giver, full-time contributor. He doesn't get any contributions from us. We get the grace. He gets the glory. And God causes us to be born again by imparting to us the resurrected life of Jesus. God finds us spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, and in His great mercy, He raises us to new 
spiritual life. He raises us with Christ, as Paul says. God does this work through the word of the gospel. And this is why, or excuse me, this is the commencement of the Christian life. And this new birth sustains us through the Christian life all the way to our eternal inheritance. That's what we saw last week from 1 Peter. That last week was an overview of the new birth and the whole Christian life that comes from it. How God gives us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, through the good news of Easter. And this morning, we're going to begin looking at each component of that whole overview. And we'll take one component each week. Today, we're going to zoom in on the necessity of the new birth. And we're going to think together for a few moments about why it is why it is that the new birth is the commencement of the Christian life. Why is the new birth the starting point, the necessary starting point? This morning we are going to see why you must be born again. And so we begin. Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and this is the context. It is a secret meeting at night between Jesus and Nicodemus where we get these famous words, from Christ. Verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is a high-ranking man. He's one of the Pharisees, so he's a member of the strictest party of Judaism that has the strictest interpretation and commitment to following the law of Moses. He's a member of that group, and you know these guys from Matthew because Jesus is constantly having conflict with them. He's a member of the Pharisees, and he's a ruler of the Jews, which probably means he's a member of the ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, a group of men who govern the religious and spiritual life and social life of the Jews underneath the Roman authorities who are in charge of the land of Israel. So this is a very important man, an educated man, a godly man, person who knows the law really well, who wants to keep it really well. This is who comes to see Jesus secretly at night. It says in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds in a way that puzzles Nicodemus in verse 3. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we're so used to this. This, this is normal. But if you, if you came up to somebody and came up to me and said, you know, uh, you know, pastor, not rabbi, pastor, we know, that you, know you, that you are a teacher who's been sent by God. Nobody could preach the incredible sermons that you do unless God were with him. And I responded, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, you need to be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, that would be an odd response to your compliment. It'd be a strange response. And it puzzled Nicodemus. And you can see his puzzlement when we look at verse 4 in a moment. But that's a strange response. And Nicodemus doesn't know what's going on. But what Jesus is doing is he is disputing what Nicodemus just said to him. He is disputing what Nicodemus thinks he knows in verse 3. He says, teacher, we know who you are. 
a teacher come from God, because otherwise nobody could do what you're doing unless God was with him. He thinks he knows who Jesus is. But Jesus is disputing that. He's telling Nicodemus, actually, you can't really see, Nicodemus. You don't really get it. You can't really know who I am until something has happened to you on the inside. You've been born again. He says, you cannot even see the kingdom. Never mind finding it, going in, entering the kingdom. You can't even see it until you have the eyes you need to see it. I, this, I mean, this is shallow, but it makes me think of um, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Whenever uh, Jack Sparrow is, uh, well, someone asks him where a certain island is, right, the island they're trying to find. And he says, it's an island that can only be found by those who already know where it is. Very Jesus-like response from Jack Sparrow. You ever been desperate for an illustration? <laughs> right? There's something about this island that says you can't find it unless you already know where it is. There's no way you can find it. And there's something about the kingdom and Jesus that you can't see and you can't find unless you already know something, unless you've already been given something in advance. There's a, re a requirement, a condition, something you need up front before you have the eyes you need to behold and see and recognize Jesus for who he is and the kingdom for what it is and the fact that Christ is the one who brings this kingdom. You can't really see. You can't really get it. And you can't really find the kingdom until... You have been born again. And what this means specifically for Nicodemus and how it applies to us specifically is this. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, the strictest party of law observance in Judaism. He's a member of the ruling council of Israel. He's a very religious man, a very pious man, very spiritual man. Some might even say, Nicodemus, you're a very holy man. But Jesus says... Being religious is not the same as being born again. And that applies to all of us. Church membership and serving on a committee or you know, being, you know, being a great tither or you know, being approved to be on the, an elder or serve as a deacon. or our, our, our religious observances are important, but don't mistake those religious observances and practices for being born again. You think of John Wesley. He was a missionary to the American colonies in the 1700s, you know, around about the time this congregation was founded. He was a missionary in Georgia. And he got, he got home and realized he was never saved, and he was a missionary. <laughs> he got home and he, he said, I didn't have the real thing until my heart was strangely warmed, he said. And there's this work on the inside that to him he described as it was I was just like strangely warmed is the way he he tried to capture what that experience was like and it's not an experience that he went back to England and cooked up for himself it was something that God did for him on the inside through his word and by his spirit being religious is not the same as being born again we need eyes new spiritual eyes to see Jesus for who he is and find his kingdom you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus is very confused by this. In verse 4, look what he says. 
Nicodemus responds and says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, this is supposed to be a bit humorous. Nicodemus is supposed to be a bit of a clown figure here. It's like, no, that's clearly not what he meant, Nicodemus. And maybe Nicodemus had a sly grin on his face, like, you know, what are you saying? You're like, I got to be born a second time from my mother's womb. Like, maybe there's this, like, sort of banter that's happening here because it's something of a, of a silly response. No, of course that's not what he meant. Why would you say that? He's, he's either joking around or he's very, very confused in verse 4. But either way, he doesn't understand the nature of this new birth. He's mistaken about what, it, what kind of birth it is. Jesus explains that it's not a second natural birth, but a new spiritual birth. He explains this in verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, it's just flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, that is spirit. So, what's Jesus saying? He's saying that by natural birth, physical birth, we are nothing but flesh. We're living flesh. A flesh, spirit, object, substance, thing, a human being. And the flesh goes on living, but because of sin and because of the fall and because of our own estrangement and alienation and hostility to God, the Bible describes that spirit on the inside as spiritually dead. By natural birth, all you get is flesh. Flesh just gives birth to more flesh. When the flesh reproduces itself, it's just another flesh thing. What we need is to come to life spiritually. We don't need a second natural birth. This isn't reincarnation or something like that. This is a spiritual birth. If we are dead in sin, we need a new life. If we are dead in sin, we need a new life. We need a rebirth. We need an Easter moment. We need a spiritual resurrection. What, G, what the Gospel of John describes earlier in, in chapter 1, this way in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says that those who become children of God are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. It's not a bloodline birth. It's not flesh begetting more flesh. It's not from, a, from human will at all. It's just from God. We are born again spiritually, and God's the one who does it. And specifically, Jesus says in verse 6, that it's the Spirit who does it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit produces new life. In us, God, by His Spirit, using His Word, brings about new birth. He gives us a new spiritual nature and delivers us from our flesh and the old nature of that flesh that resists God. And what does this mean for us today? It means this. This work of new birth is necessary before we can enter the kingdom. That's what it says. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot go in. You can't enter 
the kingdom. So unless you're born again, you can't see it, and you definitely can't go in it. The new birth has to, has to happen first. No amount of religion can substitute for new spiritual life. You cannot see or enter this kingdom without the work of the Spirit. Jesus says you must be born again. Now, just a comment on one phrase Jesus says. We don't have time to go more in detail. I'll just make a comment about it in verse 5. Jesus says we must be born of water and the Spirit. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's he getting at? If I could summarize it super quickly, I would say this. The Gospel of John delights in wordplay and word association. He does this all the time. He does it three times in this passage. We'll just focus on this one. Water and spirit are often connected in Scripture because water and spirit often do things that resemble each other in various ways. Water does something physically that the spirit does spiritually. Water cleanses and washes. That's what the spirit does. Water refreshes and renews. That's what the Spirit does. There's these connections. Jesus makes one of these connections in, uh, in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John explains, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus says, you believe in me? There's going to be rivers of living water gushing out of your heart. And John says, he means you're going to have the Holy Spirit. This fountain of living water gushing up and welling up in you, flowing through you, flowing out of you. Water and Spirit are connected, even by Jesus in the Gospel of John, and a lot of places in Scripture. In this context, water and Spirit each have a double meaning, I think. Check this out. First, the water. Water, I think in this context, given Nicodemus' comment and Jesus' response about, do I need to enter my mother's womb a second time? He says, no, flesh just reproduces flesh. You need the spirit kind, not the flesh kind. I think part of what's happening is water refers to the water of natural birth, to the womb. Talk about water breaking. It has to do with a physical birth. But that's not all it has to do with. Water also refers to what we got to witness this morning, the waters of baptism, which is a sign of the new birth. Baptism is a sign, and written on that sign is new birth. Born again. It points to the reality. It's the sign that points to the reality, the waters of baptism. Spirit and water in baptism are associated constantly in the New Testament. So water has this natural birth application in this context, but a deeper biblical connection is it refers to water of baptism as a sign of a new birth. Now, what about the word spirit? I think here spirit refers to two things. One, it has this meaning of referring to our spirit being reborn. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, so that we need a spiritual birth on the inside but it also tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about the new birth. So you've got these word plays happening between water and spirit, which will happen again in uh, verse 8 when he talks about the wind 
that blows where it wishes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Because the word in Greek for wind and spirit is the same word. And he's playing with these two different meanings of, of this word, pneuma, wind and spirit. It's the same thing with the word again. Born again. The word in Greek can mean from above or again. Born of heaven to spiritual birth, but also being born a second time. John loves these word plays, and he's dancing with his words. Jesus is just having fun with Nicodemus, just tying him in knots with all these misdirection meanings. So here's the point of this about water and spirit. Baptism is the sacrament of the new birth, because that's what it points to. And, the, and baptism is the gate of entry into the kingdom. Because when a person is baptized, that's their induction into God's kingdom. That's their entry point into the visible church, becoming a member of the church. Water and spirit, the gateway into the kingdom. There's a lot more we could say about that, but I have to conclude. Last point this morning. Finally, Jesus concludes in verses 7 and 8. He says to Nicodemus, Do not marvel, don't be shocked. Focus, Nicodemus. Don't be surprised you, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, same word for spirit in Greek, the wind or spirit blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We talk a lot about and ask a lot of questions about the freedom of the will. What about human freedom? Where does, human, where does my free will factor into all this stuff? What about freedom of the will? But Jesus isn't interested in that question in this passage. Jesus is interested not in the freedom of the will, but the freedom of the wind. The freedom of the Spirit. He says, you don't see the wind, right? He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You can't see the wind coming down the street. You just hear it. You notice its effects. You don't see the wind. You see what the wind moves and that's what being born again looks like. I don't see the wind come upon this guy over here who I'm preaching the gospel to. I don't see the Spirit doing something. I can't physically see it. What I see is conversion. That's, the, that's like the leaves rustling on the limbs. The leaves don't make the wind by rustling. Like if they rustle hard enough, they'll cause a gust. <laughs> the wind doesn't come from the leaves moving. The wind is what makes those leaves move. And this guy doesn't get born again by believing. He gets born again because the Spirit blows upon this place in sovereign freedom and causes him to be born again and makes him a new creature on the spot. And you see the effects and he's like, where did that come from? That's the power of God on his life. I, I, look at your own conversion. How did you get saved? Maybe you didn't have a come down the aisle moment, but I did. I didn't get saved by looking for Jesus. It was a youth event. I was looking for pizza and basketball afterwards. <laughs> and maybe seeing if that girl I, I noticed would go out with me or something. That's why I was in youth group. <laughs> and to maintain false appearances. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, guys. I'm saved. Don't worry about it. And I wasn't. What happened to me that night? The wind picked up, baby. And I got carried away. The power of God is what makes you a new creature because the Holy Spirit's sovereign. He blows where He wishes and God is sovereign over the wind and He can save 
anybody because he saved you and he saved me. And that way, you can go into evangelism knowing that you have inherited the wind. And you can just open up your mouth and share your faith, share the gospel, tell somebody about Jesus, live it out in front of them. And the wind of heaven blows through you. It's not just breath wasted out of your mouth. It's the Holy Spirit of God who can do His sovereign work. So go with boldness and courage before unbelievers. And in humility and in love, share the sweet testimony of Jesus and watch the wind blow. God is in charge, and God is in control of your salvation and mine. He sends His Spirit to change our hearts, to give us new life. We must be born again, and that means we are utterly dependent on God. And so I leave you with this. Christian, worship God today for the fact that you're a Christian. Worship God today for the gift of the faith that you have in Him. Because that's his gift to you. That's not your contribution. He gets, he's, gives all the grace, right? He's the one who gets the glory. We, we just get the grace. Worship him for the fact that you are a Christian. And worship him, Christian. Worship him today and love him for raising you up from the dead and making you his own as only he can do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do give you the thanks and praise that you are the Lord of the wind that blows, the God of the Holy Spirit who comes upon us and does your almighty sovereign work. And thank you that you have made us new creatures. You've caused us to be born again. You've given us eyes and ears to see and hear. And if we're in your kingdom today, it's because you have done a sovereign work of amazing grace and incredible mercy. And that's what we glorify you for today. So teach us. Teach us what it means to live this resurrected life, a life in complete gratitude to you for the fact that you have made us your own and made us new. May we worship you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.